Good morning. Such a joy to be with you all this morning. Would you please turn to 2 Timothy? I know that it says Genesis, but I'll get to Genesis shortly. If there's a sub-theme to this pursuit of Christ-likeness in perilous times, it really is something that is very tied into the conference theme, and that is the grace of God. And so... As we get into our study, we'll, we'll see the, the importance of that. But I want to read verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 3 of Second Timothy. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such. Turn away, shall we pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of this day that we gather in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you and we need the outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would anoint and bless us, Lord, so that we might understand and know your word, to be moved by it, Lord God, not just in a, <clears throat> in a very uh, emotional sense, but, Lord, to be moved in a way that causes us to take a stand for what is your truth in a time when truth is, is fleeting. We thank you so much, Lord God, for this conference and this time. I thank you personally for this wonderful congregation uh, that has given so much, Lord, for those of us who have come to participate. We ask you for your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a serious matter at hand for the church today. And a question that God reminded the house of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, and a question that we as believers in Jesus Christ should ponder in these days, comes from something that is said in Ezekiel 33, verses 10 and 11, where it says, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus you speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? That's the question. How should we then live? Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And to consider that particular question in these times brings brings up that 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 understanding that thought that, that we should understand and that is how can Christ likeness be pursued in these last days when we live in the midst of a wicked and perverted and crooked generation not to mention having to struggle with the many deceptions that are plaguing the church of Jesus Christ today i mean that's certainly what Jesus in his olivet discourse said would be happening when he said oftentimes, you know, there, was, there were these mentions of, of deception immediately and, and throughout this Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, where he would say, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. 
Or he would say, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And then later on in that very same discourse, he would say, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. How should we then live in these deceptive times? To find the answer to this question, we need to go back to the beginning when man had fallen into sin through the deception of the enemy, which was really followed by by a time of great wickedness. We read there in Genesis chapter 6, as we already heard, that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man in the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it goes on to say, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was... A just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also, uh, also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's consider for a moment and remember how wicked man had become after the fall in the garden. Man, with the help of the serpent and his fallen angels, had made the earth a a, a cesspool of immorality and a society of lawlessness and violence. Man was living to fulfill the desires and lusts of the flesh, living for the cult of beauty and sex, living for wealth, for possessions, for position, for power, for recognition and honor. Man had forgotten God altogether and was living only for himself and to gratify self. Man was not fulfilling his purpose for being on the earth. In fact, he was working against the very purpose for which God had created him. And may I say that this all happened in a, in a relatively short period of time. In essence, man was destroying both the earth and himself as he stood in complete opposition to the creator and to everything that God stood for and had purposed for his creation. And so God had no choice but to destroy man and to wipe him from the face of the earth. Could there have been a more bleak and black picture painted of the Depravity of man in his rebellion against God. You know, it's hard to think so. And what about God's promise? God had promised that there would always be a godly line of people upon the earth, a godly line through whom he could send the Savior to the world. How could God destroy man and the earth and still fulfill his promise? And yet, as those Dark thunderclouds of God's wrath against human sin were at their most threatening. A small crack appears and grace shines through. And the promise of a new day 
dawns. There was one man who would remain true to God up until the day of his death. And that man was Noah. Verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man responded to the strivings of God, the Holy Spirit, and was saved by grace. While the Lord had commanded all the earth to be cleansed of this ungodly pollution, he found one man with whom to begin again. Noah, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And what is most significant about verse 8 in the person of Noah is what the verse doesn't say. We're told that Noah found grace. It doesn't say that he earned grace, nor does it say that he worked for grace. Well, we'll talk more on this amazing grace shortly. But when you look at the times of Noah, it doesn't take much to... Uh, or much imagination to to guess what was going on in in everyday life back then. The people had disregarded God. They they might have talked about him in conversation, but certainly he didn't occupy a place in their lives. Religion was an academic exercise, something that they may have done when when there was time to do it, but not a way of life for them unless they were worshiping things in nature. Morality was determined by personal choice rather than by God's standards. Uh, am, am I talking about Noah's time or, or maybe our own? Is it any wonder that Jesus himself said in Luke 17, verses 26 to 30, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. These are the perilous times the Apostle Paul was alluding to. Times of intense selfishness. Times of violence and corruption. Wickedness and demonic oppression. We're reminded of Paul's words in Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, where he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. In unrighteousness, when you have an opportunity, and I'm sure you've probably read it many times, but if you have an opportunity today, read the the rest of this passage in Romans chapter 1 and compare it to what we see happening in our world today. Three times in this passage in Romans, The Lord gives the ungodly and the unrighteous up to uncleanness. He gave them up to vile and unseemly affections. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. In other words, he gave them over to a mind that was unapproved and rejected by God. A mind that was by implication literally and morally worthless and cast away. And he gave them over to do things that are not fitting 
I think we carry burdens for those that we know in this life that are far from God. And when we read passages like Romans chapter 1, our hearts are even more burdened because then we begin to realize that all the things that the scripture says about the sins that man is seething in today are the things that have been described already. We're told in Romans 1 verses 28 through 32, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to this reprobate mind, to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Now that just means not becoming, not, not fitting. They, they, they're given over to, uh, to do those things which are forbidden, which are shameful. That's really a full understanding of this word uh, or phrase, not convenient. It goes on to say, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, which means unforgiving and unable to be appeased unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Combine all of these things in Genesis, in Luke, in Romans, and certainly a few other books in the scriptures, and you get a pretty good picture of the condition of the world in the time of Noah. And I have to tell you, I've, I've, you know, in, in, in just this short amount of time that I've been speaking, it, it even weighs heavy to read all of these passages first. But I wanted to get all of the bad news out of the way first. But the question is, why Noah? Why Noah? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does that mean? This simply means that Noah found favor in God's sight. And we know the result of that favor. Escape for him and his family from the flood. But what is this grace that is mentioned? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It is a principle with the Lord that the more degenerate and corrupt the times, the more definite the testimony. In other words, God always has his special person. He always has a special man. A Moses, an Elijah, a Daniel, a Noah. And before the flood, that is who found grace. It is hard not to think that this man was was energized by God himself, endued with power from on high. The very, the very fact that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord implies that he was getting something that he didn't deserve because grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. He obviously had access to the truth and, and believed God. When you do a, a careful counting of the days uh, that the earliest of people in the line of Seth lived... Seth, the son of Adam and Eve after Abel's death, you discover that Enos, the grandson of Adam, was still alive and did not die until Noah was over 80 years old. So Noah was was raised in a believing family. 
And so to have found grace, he, he had to have seen himself as a sinner in need of God's undeserved, unmerited favor. And so Noah can be seen here as a forgiven man. But he was also a faithful man. Because as we read in verse 9 of Genesis 6, it says these are the generations of Noah. This is interesting. Sometimes we read that particular phrase and we think, oh, we're going to get this list of people. But it says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and walked with God. As a, as a just man, Noah was a righteous, lawful man, which, which speaks volumes, really, about his faith and his trust in the Lord. For we should indeed know that the prophet Habakkuk and the, and the, and the apostle Paul both make reference to the statement, the just shall live by faith. And when we trust the Lord implicitly, when we, when we put our full weight of dependency upon Him and His word, we're exhibiting a moral relationship to God. We, we fear and reverence his word. And when I say that we fear, I'm just saying what, what, what the scriptures are telling us, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear being reverence toward God, respect toward God, worship toward God. So when I say that we fear, that we are to fear and to reverence his word, it is to reverence and to respect and to, and to worship God for the very word that he's given to us. We have to ask ourselves, really an examination every day, do we fear and reverence God? Do we fear and reverence his word? As a man that was perfect in his generations, Noah was whole or complete, you know, to, to really round out this definition of, of perfect in the scriptures. To be perfect is to be whole, to be complete, to be entire. Perfect in his generations, he was, he was without blemish, which doesn't mean he was sinless, but it does mean he was blameless. He was upright. He was a sincere man, full of truth and integrity. That's quite a definition in just one word, perfect. But that was Noah. That is what we're told of him. He was a man of moral integrity among the people in a morally corrupt world. For him to be perfect in his generation suggests strongly that that Noah had found a, a, a new center of gravity for his life in God. I say that because the word generations in the Hebrew literally means to go in a circle. As a planet goes around the sun, so Noah's life revolved around the Lord. Sometimes we ask the very simple question about gravity, you know, what, you know how, uh, why is it that, the, you know, the, the earth revolves around the sun? And the simple answer, of course, is this gravitational pull were pulled and, 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 and kept in orbit because of that. And I think how strongly the suggestion is here that Noah's life revolved around the Lord because he was pulled toward God, kept in orbit in his life. Do we fear the Lord and reverence him in his word? Do our lives revolve around the Lord as we become the center 
of our whole existence, our whole life, our whole being. As a man, Noah walked with God. What a beautiful picture that is. Noah walked with God. What a joy it is to hear those words. You might say that, <clears throat> excuse me, you might say that he literally went along with God habitually. It was his daily habit. It, it, it wasn't like he ever decided that there was a time that he wanted to say, Lord, uh, you go ahead and walk today and I'll either catch up with you or I'll, I'll just get back with you tomorrow. It, it wasn't that way. It was, Lord, today we walk. We always walk together. You with me and I with you. That's the force of the text. That he walked with God. This is how he, he manifested his righteousness and his integrity. Noah, Noah found a greater attraction in the Lord than he did in the wicked civilization in which he lived. The only other man of whom it was said that he, he walked with God was Enoch. Methuselah, Enoch's son, was, was Noah's grandfather. And he had to have been, uh, you know, Noah had to have been drinking in his, his, his granddad's stories of, of Enoch walking with God until his amazing walk ended in, in glory, you know. Because the Lord just took him. What a great picture of the rapture of the church. In walking with God, Noah would have called on the name of the Lord. As you do that when you walk with God, you call on the name of the Lord. You sacrifice unto the Lord. We as believers in Jesus Christ today don't go out and build altars and sacrifice some kind of animal on it unto the Lord. We, we don't have to do that. Uh, Jesus is our sacrifice. He did it already for us once for all who believe. But we give of our lives. One of the scriptures that uh, uh, we, we, we studied this, uh, this weekend at the conference, of course, comes right out of Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul reminds us even in Romans chapter 12 that we're living sacrifices. But we do this willfully, willingly, I should say, willingly, because we, we love our God that much. And we, and we give. And we keep giving. But here's the thing, we can never outgive God. And he loves us that much. And we can never match that wonderful and great love of his. So Noah would have called on the name of the Lord. He would have sacrificed unto the Lord. And certainly he worshipped and bowed in reverence and respect to the Lord. Do we in our lives call on the Lord? Do we live lives of sacrifice unto the Lord? And do we worship the Lord? Not, not just on Sunday mornings and not just when we gather together and, and have the time of, of fellowship that we have as we have this weekend and, and certainly here today. But do we, do we do it every day? 
I think, I think the one question that we all as, as, as believers in Jesus Christ have to deal with is, is do I worship the Lord when I'm alone as much as I do when I'm with others? Do I call upon the name of the Lord when I'm alone as much or more than when I am with others? Do I give of myself unto the Lord when no one else sees more than when I'm together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's important, of course. We've been called to to fellowship. We've been called to gather together. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But do I worship the Lord when I'm all by myself? When the time for the world, the flesh, and the enemy, the devil, can come and, 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 and try to infect us with thoughts, words, deeds. When the enemy may think we're the most vulnerable. That's the walk with God that we need to examine. Each and every one of us. We know we're forgiven. That was the promise to those who would believe. We are to be faithful, which is how we establish our accountability before the Lord, that we would be faithful in the things that God has called us to do. But he's also called us to be fruitful, and Noah was a fruitful man. We're told in verse 10, it says, Noah begat three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three sons. That doesn't seem like very much fruit. Uh, I had two brothers. Uh, that, uh, that was uh, the makeup of my family. Mom, dad, and, and two other brothers. Um, in a sense, uh, fruitful, but not very fruitful. I had tons of other cousins and from other of, of our family. You know, We were just a very small part of that. And in, in, in the three brothers, and at least in my own family, my oldest brother was the only one that had, had children. And um, uh, two were actually adopted from previous marriage that his wife has, and then they had one, one son. So that's kind of fruitful, a little bit fruitful, but not like a lot of families that have many, many people all around, right? So it doesn't sound like much fruit to have you know, three sons, uh, until you realize that from those three sons, every man, woman, and child on the planet descended from those three boys. And what else did, you know, what else did God, God's grace affect in Noah's life? Well, his life of obedience unto the Lord. Forgiven, faithful, fruitful, and obedient. Verse 22 of Genesis 6 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. Obedience, in a sense, is a fruit of our walk with the Lord. We learn from the book of Hebrews that, <coughs> excuse me, that Noah's obedience came from faith. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, 
prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, uh, which is by faith. So his obedience came from faith, from trusting in the Lord. But Noah not only lived a righteous life, he also proclaimed the need for righteousness. And even though he lived in a very ungodly world, Noah became a preacher of righteousness. So it wasn't just a matter that he was righteous, but he preached righteousness. Peter tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. But he, he mentions and calls him directly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a preacher of righteousness. Now, we don't face the promise of a worldwide flood because the Lord said he, he would never destroy the world again in that manner. But God, uh, but I should say, but man does face the promise of a coming judgment that involves destruction by fire. And Peter himself, once again, in that very same letter, Second Peter chapter 3, in verses 9 and 10, says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What a heart God has for those that he created. He's not slack concerning his promise. But the day of the Lord, he goes on to say, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And in view of this promise, in view of this promise, what does Peter call upon us to do and to be? He says in verse 11, 2 Peter 3. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Notice what he says. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot. And blameless. Be diligent that you might be found of him. As Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In peace. Where in the world there was no peace. Without spot and blameless. As the one man. In a corrupt world. Looking for. Look at the things we're looking for. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. 
As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know that Jesus is coming. We need to know this. I mean, it isn't just something that, uh, you know, should be piquing our interest at times. It shouldn't be something that just, just becomes kind of a, a, a pet uh, uh, a hobby or, a, or a, you know, it, 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 needs to be, it needs to be something that we are really looking for. Looking for that blessed hope. And the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself said, keep looking up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Keep looking. Don't stop looking. But we're to look for other things. We're to look as well for a new heaven and for new heavens and a new earth where indwelleth righteousness. This, this is the seriousness of where we are today in this world, where we are, that, that, that mirrors in, in, in such a way what, what Noah was seeing all around him. And we see it much more and, and much uh, uh, more quickly and sometimes even more graphic because of the, of, of the internet, because of, of uh, the news media that just goes, you know, flashes around the world in real time. How we as believers in Jesus Christ can't go running off or doing the, just the, the little things that some churches are doing today to try to entertain and try to make you feel good. Listen, there's only one thing that really makes me feel good and that's to know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I, I mean, I, don't, I not only feel good, I, I am just relieved, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm, I'm thankful, I, I don't know what else to say. It it, it humbles me that he would die for such a one as this. How should we then live? What manner of persons ought we to be? But to be diligent that we may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Be just in his sight. Be perfect in your generation. Walk with God. Do all the Lord commands. And be preachers of righteousness. Be like Noah. Be like Noah. Peter, at the end of his letter in 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18, says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, But grow in grace. Grow in charis. Grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want to close with just that little phrase that we began with in 2 Timothy 3. You don't have to turn there. But in verse 1, Paul said, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. May I just remind you, perilous times have come. But the phrase, this know also, is an imperative. And it literally means, this you must know. This you must know. So know this, but know also, that we have a great 
and awesome God and a great and awesome Savior. And he's given us great and precious gifts. And he's given us his own spirit. He's given us his word. He's he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's come to Jesus. Let's come to him today. You might be saying, I already did. That's good. Let's keep coming. Let's keep coming to him. Let's walk with him. Let's talk to him. Let's serve him. Let's grow in him. Amen. Father, I thank you. And I bless you so much, Lord, for this blessed congregation. I ask you to bless Dwight and and all of this flock. May you continue, Lord, to grow them in your love, mercy, grace, and truth. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.